Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to this three-part series on litigation risk management, where we will hear from lead market experts on how clients, considering or involved in a dispute, can manage the associated risks using insurance and finance bat solutions. By way of a brief introduction, my name is Katie Armstrong and I will be your host for this episode. I'm a specialist litigation risk management broker here at Howden with over a decade of experience. My expertise is in commercial litigation and arbitration, and I assist law firms and corporate clients globally in arranging bespoke insurance and finance solutions for complex litigation risks. So in this first episode, we will be focusing on the available insurance solutions pre and post an award or judgment. And I'm very pleased to welcome our guests, Ed Yell, Head of Schemes from Litiga, who are a leading managing general agent in litigation insurance, and my colleague, Nick Mins from Structured Solutions. So Ed, welcome. I will hand over to you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, I'm the um, head of scheme underwriting at Litica. Litica is a managing general agent, so acts on behalf of um, a number of major UK insurance companies to place and uh, to underwrite litigation risk. So in different types of policies, which we'll come on to uh, you know, later on mm-hmm. in, the, in the show. I also um, am a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for coming up to 20 years, frightfully and um, I've spent my entire career working in litigation and litigation support. Excellent. Thank you, Ed. And Nick? Thank you. So I've been with Howden about three and a half years now. So my focus in the Structured Solutions team is primarily on litigation insurance post a judgment um, and providing ongoing protection. Prior to joining Howden, I was at Barclays in various structured finance roles for about a decade. Thank you both. Now, as you know, a regular feature on our podcast is to ask guests to tell us about a time you took a risk and how this paid off, either professionally or personally. So, Ed, you're up first. Thanks, Katie. I'm going to stick to the professional because I'm slightly terrified of this question. And just say I've I've spent nearly 20 years now in the risk industry, starting off as a a lawyer at a firm which specialised in contingent fee work, then moving into litigation funding and then later into insurance. So having spent so long in these industries where we deal with risks every single day, I feel I've become slightly immune to it and slightly blasé about the subject. Excellent. Thank you. And Nick, over to you. Thank you. So I'm going to go with a personal example. So I was with some friends visiting the Highlands of Scotland. And one evening, we were all saying how nice it was to see more of the countryside and get out of London. And one of my friends came up with a slightly crazy idea of cycling the length of the country. So despite the fact that I hadn't ridden a bicycle for about a decade, I agreed, thinking it was one of those things that would just be forgotten again by the next morning. Turns out he didn't forget about it. And three months later, um, we set off from Cornwall for two weeks of cycling. In fact, Actually, it was something I really enjoyed. We were really lucky. It was beautiful weather. And now cycling is one of my biggest hobbies. And you're here to tell a tale. Excellent. Thank you so much both for sharing. So we're going to jump into the litigation insurance solution. So starting from the very beginning, when a client may be considering pursuing a dispute, there are a number of factors to consider for all parties, whether you're a claimant, defendant or law firm. The main consideration being the cost risk involved. So risk versus reward, what is the cost liability versus what is the claim worth? 
Ed, turning to you, maybe you can start by identifying the general cost risks stakeholders face in a dispute, whether you are a claimant or defendant. Yeah. In any litigation, a few exceptions, there is an adverse cost liability. And this is always the, the, the primary risk as far as the insurance market is concerned. So if company A is suing company B and um, company A is unsuccessful, then almost invariably they will face a bill for company B's costs. And in this jurisdiction, perhaps more so than any other European ju- jurisdiction, the adverse costs are astronomic. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of work in um, in Europe, and you see the adverse cost liabilities in Europe can be 15, 20%. Cap cost risk. Yeah, yeah, cap cost risk, or, or just a fraction of what you see here. So in the UK, you can regularly see, for big, substantial pieces of commercial litigation, multi, multi-million pound mm-hmm. um, adverse cost liabilities. And obviously, from a claimant perspective, having that as a um, liability um, presents various um, difficulties. I mean, from a practical perspective, having that as a balance sheet risk um, over the course of the litigation, which could span five or six years longer. In addition to their own legal spend as Pre- well. Precisely, mm-hmm. precisely. So those adverse cost liabilities can be um, painful. And so insurance exists to, um, to, to cover that risk. On top of that, there are other sort of peripheral risks which arise. I say peripheral, I mean, there's your, your own costs, which again can be huge. And then also disbursements, so the, the additional fees which you pay on top of your lawyers. So, for example, if, if there's expert evidence in the case, you might need the leading expert on, uh, I don't know, um, valuing a, a piece of land to come and assist with the litigation. And, and none of that is cheap. So it is a painful reality for everyone involved in litigation that it costs a lot. And if and it goes underestimated, wrong, I think, in a lot of a lot of uh, circumstances. Yeah. And if it goes wrong, it can be it can be quite painful. Mm-hmm. Now, turning to the more specific solutions, Ed, you, can you provide an overview of the prejudgment insurance products that may help a client alleviate the risks you've just highlighted? Yes. The most common is an adverse costs ATE policy. And that simply um, is a policy which you take out generally at the outset of the litigation. And the lawyers who you're retaining on a particular case will make an estimate of what the other side's costs are likely to be in the case that the, in the event that the case goes all the way to trial and say that number is a million pounds. The adverse cost policy just provides insurance for the eventuality that you lose, and the insurer has a, you know, supervises the case as it goes to make sure that you're not doing anything reckless in the context of that case. The other products out there can also do add-ons to also cover some of your own costs in the litigation or to cover some of your own expenditure on disbursements. But then we also see some slightly more creative products which have arisen for things like security for costs and cross undertakings for damages. So for the uninitiated, so to speak, security for costs arises when an impecunious company wants to bring a claim. So for example, companies in insolvency. And the other side are concerned that if the case is, um, if they successfully defend the case, there won't be money available to pay for their adverse costs. So the insolvent company then needs to take out an insurance policy to cover off that risk. So the industry, and you know as as well as I do, is um, evolving at the moment. And there are more and more creative products coming into the market. Mm -hmm. But certainly those are the bread and butter which have been in the, you know, in the market for the last decade. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, on the more innovative products, a bit of a side note, we're not going to kind of go into too much detail, but it is worth mentioning law firms can also utilize these insurance solutions when acting on alternative fee arrangements to protect their downside. Um, I think it's it's also worth mentioning kind of all of the products 
Ed has noted, they are all very much tailored to a dispute. So whether it's jurisdiction and therefore procedural stages differ, timings of settlement and the likelihood of settlement levels of cover, you may have multiple claimants or defendants, so which will all need to be tailored into the policy. You've highlighted the available products. So what are the, the main benefits to a client taking out these sorts of insurance solutions? Well, there's, there's a few. I mean, the most obvious is it takes away the uncertainty. And that uncertainty can persist in, in many different ways. I mean, for most basic example is just from an accountancy perspective, having a potential liability of several million pounds on your balance sheet can cause you know difficulties about about how you make an accounting provision for that. But then also, and where we come into some of the post judgment products, it puts certain shackles on your business having these kind of liabilities floating around. So for example, if you're out to sell the business or you're out to um, you know, monetize or, or, or whatever you want to do, having these kind of liabilities floating around can put the handbrake on what you can do, getting new investment into the business if you've got this uncertainty. So I think where we've seen the most growth at the moment is people using um, post-judgment and pre-judgment insurance products uh, for transactional reasons and for um, finance reasons, that they need to be able to show to investors or purchasers of the business that this is a, a certain liability rather than something which is quite ethereal. And it's very, very difficult, as everyone in this room will, will, will agree, I'm sure, to get lawyers to actually confirm what the total liability is. So if you can avoid that situation, and, and rather than have your lawyer sort of give a, an estimate of what the potential liability is, you can say, look, it's sorted, we have an insurance policy. It just makes life a lot easier for those involved in the transaction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, more specific to the actual dispute itself, I think it's also worth noting that in instances, insurance is used for a tool for settlement. So, you know, disclosing to the other side the existence of ATE shows your opponent that an insurer has undertaken their own legal assessment on the claim and were willing to take on the risk, which speaks volumes as to the strength of, of your claim. In order to source these solutions, um, Ed, a client could reach out to myself, uh, an intermediary, who will assist in accessing the right solutions and right insurance partner. But how important is it for a client to find the right litigation insurance partner? And what are the main factors to consider? Well, I think it's very important because litigation, as we touched on earlier, is a, is a long journey. And um, the average uh, civil litigation, particularly with the larger disputes, can probably last three or four years minimum. So you're going on a, it's a bit cliched, you're going on a journey. And on this journey, there are going to be difficult times along the way. Litigation never runs entirely to plan. And so having litigation insurers who are not going to panic at the first sign of any difficulties whatsoever, and um, you know, get on your case and tell you that you really need to get out of this terrible situation is complete paramount importance. We have been involved in litigation risk for, for a long time, and we've seen all the games which are played in litigation. Lawyers creating drama to scare the claimants' insurers, to scare the claimants' funders, to scare the claimant themselves. So we've sort of been around the block a bit, and um, we've seen it before. Uh, the other big point is that if you're looking at these larger disputes, capacity becomes an issue. So if you're looking to bring a big claim and you need a huge amount of insurance, and some of these policies are very, very big, 
having an insurance partner who has enough capacity to do all of the insurance themselves is very important because it means you're not in a situation where if a difficult situation arises in the litigation, you have to go and speak to multiple insurers to get their take on it and have the potential that one insurer says you're fine. The other insurer says, no, we're, not, we're, we're worried about this. We want you to do X, Y, and Z. So I think it's experience. I think it's capacity. Um, and I think it's team size as well. Um, I'm not, you know, looking to speak badly of anyone in the industry, but having a, a bigger team of underwriters available just means we can be more responsive and more able to turn around uh, our answers to, to kind of questions in the litigation that much quicker and avoids a bit of the stress of the, of the process. I mean, echoing all of what Ed said, you're inviting the insurer onto the litigation team. So therefore, the right insurance partner is key. When clients consider insurance offers uh, as an intermediary, we advise them both pricing and actually the partnership itself. We now move on to the latter stages of a dispute and turn the conversation to post-judgment insurance solutions. These solutions are available where there has been a favorable decision for the party in a dispute and can provide certainty whichever side of the case you find yourself on, either as a defendant or claimant. So we now bring Nick into the conversation to expand on the availability of post-judgment insurance solutions. So Nick, much like we did with pre-judgment solutions, can you provide uh, or can you share the risks and exposure clients may face in these latter stages of a dispute? Yeah, and I think when you said certainty there, that really is at the heart of this. Mm -hmm. So you may you may have already been on a very long journey um, to get to your initial decision um, that has now been appealed by the other side. You're facing in some jurisdictions potentially another good five years till you reach the end of a dispute. So there are still elements of uncertainty, still elements of that legal game playing that um, that Ed alluded to earlier. So really, one thing that people are looking for is to remove that uncertainty, to know that they can play through to the end game now that they have their first win. So that that really is one of the risks that people are looking to remove. The other key one is is timing. If you're facing another five years until you've got a final decision, actually knowing that you've got certainty, in particular on the defendant side, knowing that you're not going to have to pay out potentially quite a large amount of money in five years is something that can be quite attractive for a number of people. So insurance solutions following a decision, I think, tend to be more unfamiliar to clients and more bespoke in nature. Nick, what kinds of insurance solutions are commonly available? Yeah, it is right to say they are designed to be very bespoke. So the underwriting is generally very detailed and involves looking through all the materials and understanding the decision and how it was reached. So the kind of the main type of policy that is available is what's commonly being called a judgment preservation policy, um, whereby you've received an initial decision and you are ensuring the outcome of those appeals that may be launched against it. Broadly, the way that works is the insurer is joining part of your litigation team. Um, they will help provide input into the, um, the way the case is managed. They'll be reviewing all the things that lawyers are doing. And broadly, they will protect the outcome of the case. So it can be done in various different ways. There may be an element of retention, but broadly what they are doing is taking the risk from you and taking it onto the insurer's books. And how are you seeing clients use these types of policies? 
Yeah, so I think there are three main ways that we see people do these, um, some of which Ed alluded to earlier. The first one is releasing cash. So I, I guess the main people we see do this is on the defendant side. If you're a defendant, um, someone's launched a large claim of, say, many millions against you, the last thing you want to do is have to hold a pot of cash back for potentially paying that out. We see that in particular in, say, the, the private equity sphere, where it's maybe a portfolio company that doesn't have access to other large sources of, of funding. But being able to put a cap on your maximum exposure allows you to distribute excess funds or otherwise commit them to other future operations or investments. The second one um, is facilitating a transaction. So if you're a party that has been running a dispute for a number of years, you've probably got quite comfortable with it. You spent a lot of time with your lawyers. If there is a transaction, so you're selling the company, then actually the buyer is coming into that process quite cold and will often be very nervous around any mention of litigation. It will come up in the um, DD reports and be flagged. So often there will be a disparity of how people see the risk on the buy and sell side. So they will undoubtedly increasingly, they, people try to price chip using these items that come up in a DD. So broadly, you, you tend not to see people pricing it at the same level. So often being able to just pass that risk straight out to an insurer for a known price allows the transaction to proceed more smoothly. And one thing we're increasingly seeing is as the M&A market becomes a bit more difficult is that people are looking to get insurance indications before they've even marketed the investment so that they have it either in their back pocket mm -hmm. or almost built into the, the package that is shared with buyers. And the third one is kind of typical insurance, kind of catastrophe protection. If you're going to make an investment where there is a very small probability but high impact um, outcome as a result of litigation, a lot of people we find uh, interested in a product that can just take that tail risk off the table. So look, you would note a number of the policies we've been discussing throughout this episode are designed for claimants and defendants. However, I think it'd be really interesting to hear from you, Nick, what you are seeing in relation to other groups using litigation insurance. One interesting group we're seeing is we've been talking a lot about people kind of at the start of an investment. Actually, it can be just as useful at the end so people like liquidators, um, alternatively, when you're disposing of an investment, providing that certainty around your final cash flows where you have non, no ongoing involvement. Um, so we often see either liquidators that have a large pot of money, but a piece of ongoing litigation, the creditors of that insolvency are often quite keen to get their money back because things have not gone well. That's why there's a liquidator there. So being able to give the liquidator an insurance policy that covers the outcome allows them to distribute to those creditors earlier in the process, which creditors generally like. Similarly, if you've disposed of an investment, but someone's sued you or claimed against you for some reason, 
um, you generally want to tidy up the structure that you have disposed of. So being able to um, protect against the outcome of that case allows you to just clean up the structure and move on now that you've got no ongoing investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ed, this might be a good time for you to jump in and uh, touch upon your experience specifically in relation to litigation funders using insurance to protect their kind of capital risk. I think we're seeing that more and more nowadays. Totally. I, I think some of the evolution in the insurance market is being driven by litigation mm-hmm. funders coming into the market. Um, and just to explain by that, all of the products which we've we've talked about today are regularly used by litigation funders. So, for example, with the judgment preservation, if a if a company has an award for a hundred million, but is facing four years until that award is final, what we will see is litigation funders being prepared to lend money, effectively secured against the judgment, but wanting that additional protection of a judgment preservation policy in case it in case it all goes wrong. In other sort of areas, the litigation funders have 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 come in and. Uh, made it easier for the insurers in many respects because they are prepared to go in and um, put money into litigation which wouldn't otherwise be pursued because we don't have the, the claimant doesn't have the funds available to pursue that type of case so what you'll see very frequently is that litigation funding and ATE insurance particularly go hand in hand and sometimes the litigation funder will insist upon the claimant taking out that insurance as part of the funding package or in other circumstances, the claimant won't be aware that the litigation funder themselves has taken out insurance in the, in the background. So it's it's a risk transfer between the funders who are taking a more aggressive position, probably stand to lose more if the case goes wrong because they put actual capital into the case and their loss is, is almost certain if the case goes wrong. And then the insurance providers who sit slightly lower down the risk pile, um, but with a lower premium, compared to the returns which the litigation funders are seeking. And it it creates an overall product, which I think is beneficial for claimants in that cases which couldn't otherwise be brought um, can now be brought. And okay, there is cost involved in doing that and cost involved in litigation funding as much as the insurance, but it has opened up opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, over the last decade or so in London in the legal market, with success fees being made irrecoverable um, and with insurance premiums being made in most cases irrecoverable. The introduction and the growth of litigation funding has has filled that that void. And so now we do have a a fairly mature industry and um, the two work hand in hand. Absolutely. Thank you, um, Ed. So uh, I hope we've given our listeners lots to think about. As a a final comment before we end the episode, I'm going to turn to my guests for one last time uh, to ask what are your key takeaways from this discussion for a client considering or involved in a dispute pre or post judgment. So, Ed, I think for particularly for people coming to litigation new and without the sophistication of having been involved in lots of these disputes, it's a very daunting process to get involved in litigation. So, I think anyone beginning a uh, litigation process needs to have serious thought at the outset of the litigation about the risks involved and the contingent liabilities which are going to arise. And just to have that conversation, I think, is the most important thing. There are very skilled brokers who are here today mm-hmm. who can help people with that um, that process. But it, it's just to understand, you know, if we are going to do this, we are going to bring a big claim, what is the risk involved? And let's consider at the outset whether we want to get rid of some of that risk or whether we're prepared to do three or four years with that uncertainty 
hanging over it. And so I just think it's a serious conversation everyone should have at the outset of litigation. It may work for some people, it may not work for, you know, for other people, but to not think about it, given the risks involved in the case, I think is, is you know, it's not a good idea. That's naive. Nick? So, yeah, I think, as you've heard today, there are a wide variety of products um, available and actually those products can be made very bespoke for your own, the client's own particular fact pattern and scenario. So really, there is probably a product that can help you whatever issues you're facing. Um, so please do always just reach out to us and we're always very happy to discuss any particular case and help suggest how insurance might be tailored to meet your needs. As a final comment from me, I would just end by saying educate yourself on the available products and find an experienced broking partner. Knowing your options is key in reducing risk and dictating legal strategy in a dispute. Thank you again to our guests Ed Yell and Nick Minns who have provided us with key guidance on managing litigation risk using insurance solutions from start to finish. And to our listeners, we look forward to you joining us in our next episode where we'll be hearing from my colleague Rhys Williams and a litigation funder on the available finance solutions. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favours the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app.